Hi, and welcome to Edge Church Podcasts. To get connected, visit our website, edgechurch.co.za, or send us a WhatsApp on 073-013-8426. Say hi, and we'll connect with you. Our sermons can be found on our YouTube channel. Enjoy listening to the sermon. Well, this morning, we are so uh, so honored to have Pastor Grant Stevenson with us on this Father's Day. And Pastor Grant isn't just a guest to our church. He served our church. I don't know if many of us know this, but Pastor Grant served on team here at Edge Church for over 10 years um, before being sent to go and um, be a part of pioneering a church in the deep south where he grew up called Southside Church. And they have seen God's hand work so significantly in this season of their lives. Pastor Grant and Janine have been married for 18 years and have two sons, Joel, who's 16, and Aaron, who's 12. And Grant has a passion to creatively communicate the Word of God with the desire that others would experience the transformative power of the living Word and see it move from their, heart, from their heads to their hearts. So church, would you stand with me as we welcome Pastor Grant to the stage this morning? Thank you. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here. I remember um, uh, Pastor Daniel told me I can chat a little before I start my sermon because I just went straight into it in the first service. And I was thinking about that. And the reason I didn't is because I don't want to look back and regret saying something I shouldn't have. Um, So I did think through it. And there is something which came to mind. And I just, I remember being in my early 20s and and, uh, I had felt God call me to full-time ministry. I knew this is what I was called to do with my life. And um, I'd been in a church uh, at the time, and uh, the leadership was a little bit rocky. There wasn't really much happening, and here was this young man, passionate about growing in God, believing there were greater things God had for my life. And I heard a sermon from Bishop T.D. Jakes saying, if you want to fly with eagles, you can't be walking with chickens. And I remember going into a back room and getting on my knees and saying, God, I want to fly with eagles. I remember praying a prayer, and I said, I don't know how this would work, God, but please would you move me and bring me under leadership of of a significant, healthy, life-giving church where I can learn how to lead like an eagle. And at the end of that year, somehow through the work of God, and I could literally talk about it, blow your mind out, all came together, but I ended up being sent to a church called Edge Church in the behind the Borevoz curtain, because... <laughs> I had been in the deep south, and uh, coming into this church, and literally this auditorium was busy being built. They were hosting church services in the theaters at what was Rotunga Junction Park. You might not even know what that is. Uh, um, and, And I remember walking in, and I kind of had these big, bright eyes, and I felt like I was, you know, deer in headlights, and here's this church, and all these people and everything I dreamed about being part of. And here was this little boy from the South getting to serve. And, and, and that became 10 years of serving in an incredible team in this church where I was shaped in my spiritual leadership as part of God hearing that prayer that I wanted to fly like an eagle. It's where I became adopted as a spiritual son and Pastor Pedro had been the pastor. Uh, and, and, and so 10 years later, I was released to fly like an eagle because God heard that question, that prayer. And, and it was in this house with this team 
And now that generational blessing has gone to Daniel. And he's carrying this house. And he's one of my close, close friends in ministry. And it's very hard to find close friends in ministry. And at the same time, Pastor Pedro plays a spiritual role in my life as a spiritual director and father figure even now. And it's interesting that Joel, who is Pedro's son, uh, was instrumental in my oldest son with his schooling when we moved back to the south. And that very place in which I sat down and prayed that God would take me somewhere to learn to fly like an eagle is the very church I'm now pastoring all those years later. And it's as though God knew. And so I have a huge, deep uh, part of my heart in this house, in Daniel, in what he does. And I appreciate the privilege of coming back here to preach and speak to you guys this morning. And so Father's Day, and reflecting on my 17 years as a dad, and thinking about how the most meaningful time I have with my sons is when we connect vulnerably and deeply. It's not when we're doing some major eventful thing together. It's when we're driving in the car and they open up about something they're afraid of or while we're having coffee and they get honest about a struggle they're having with a friend at school. It's in those moments that I gain the most. It's those things that mean the most because that vulnerability and that connectedness is priceless with my child, with my child. And that's because we were all created for connection. You have heard Pastor Daniel speaking about a series you are in where you've been journeying around the truth and the significance of belonging. And Pastor Daniel's been speaking about the fact that although we're created for connection, we often drift toward isolation. And in John's gospel, Jesus speaks of his desire for this connection with us as our good father. And he says in John chapter 15, verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. So Jesus wants the close connection of friendship with us. He says that we are no longer slaves, but we know the Master's business. And he's made known to us everything the Father made known to him. Now, it's interesting that in studying the original Greek words, know, in reference to the master's business, and know in reference to the father revealed to Jesus that the meanings are different. The first know is the word oida in the Greek, which refers to an intellectual cognitive knowledge, to be aware of a specific piece of information. So part of our relationship with Jesus as intimate friends requires this intellectual knowing about God through his word. But then the other word know is the Greek word enosko, which means to know through intimate experience, normally acquired through observation or the senses. This is the relationship in which we know God intimately because the message of the good news has been made known to us intellectually. 
So based on Jesus' words from John chapter 15, in order to live as a friend of God, deeply connected, I need to both know him through what he's given me in his word with intellectual head knowledge and know him through intimate experience with my heart in personal relationship. Now, understanding that we were created for this connection through knowing God in mind, but also the heart, does not automatically mean we don't drift towards isolation. It's part of what it means to be human. How many of you started a diet three weeks ago? How's it going? We drift. Even when we have an intellectual understanding of God, we still drift. We see an example of this drifting from our connection with God in the New Testament book of Revelation. The reason the author, John, wrote the book of Revelation was because it was a direct command from Jesus to write down what he had to say to each of the seven churches at the time. And in Revelation 2, verse 2 to 3, Jesus, speaking about this drifting, is speaking to the church in Ephesus and commending them for their works when he says, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Those words describe what so many of us would desire to see in our own spiritual lives. We want to hear God say, man, you've been active in your deeds, hardworking, persevering, discerning, enduring, and resilient. I'm like, yes, Lord, what a good Christian. But then verse four continues with Jesus' words to the church. But I have this against you. You have departed from your first love. So even in their doing for Christ, they had unknowingly drifted from Christ. You see, when Jesus told the church in Ephesus that they had lost their first love, he was separating their intellectual knowing, oida, with which he commended their good deeds, from he was he was separating the intellectual knowing order with which he commended their good deeds from their experiential knowing in relationship with him that he held against them. He was saying, You're doing all the deeds right because of what you know in your head, but you've lost sight of knowing me experientially from your heart. You see, drifting from God or Losing our first love happens when our intellectual understanding of knowing about God overtakes our intimate experience of knowing in relationship with God. And so often as followers of Jesus, we have testimonies that sound something maybe like this. Well, let me tell you my testimony. This one time, this one time, I like felt the power of God and I, could, I experienced his presence and I could feel his love. And, and we talk about our testimony as, that it start, as though it started with a memory in which we came to know God through this encounter. And then we take that intimate experience of the heart and continue that walk intellectually from the head. We go from knowing Jesus in the midst of all our imperfections and failures and then can default to start putting more focus on 
figuring out how to do Christian. We can do Christian while drifting from Christ. Often what started as an experience with God is sustained through an intellectual understanding of God. It goes from that encounter, experiencing his love and forgiveness, to a deep study on what to do and what not to do, how you should live, how you shouldn't live, what to tell other people not to do and what they shouldn't do. And then it becomes this, and then everything's intellectualized in our head. And by the time we look back, we kind of know all about God. But maybe we don't know out of intimacy with God. See, the danger of sustaining our connection to God on intellectual knowing alone is that it's also where the enemy works from. The enemy's weapon is lies and his target is your mind, the seat of your intellect. The enemy wants to use the place of intellectual knowing in your mind to isolate you from the knowing experienced in intimacy with God from the heart. And he seeks to do this through identity theft. He wants you to intellectually conclude that you're not a friend of God, but a foe. Not a son of God, but a slave. And this is because the enemy understands the Old Testament scripture of Proverbs 23, 7 that tells us, as a man thinks, so is he. The enemy can't keep you away from your connection with God, so he seeks to convince you to do it yourself by stealing your identity in Christ. It's interesting that this is the same way that human traffickers enslave their victims. Research has found that instead of using physical violence or restraints, traffickers, some of whom are women, often use psychology to keep their victims enslaved. In a study of human trafficking, American professor Paula Tavro identified ways that traffickers psychologically manipulate their victims to keep them enslaved. She did this based on a labor trafficking survivor's experience. And among their tactics, she discovered that traffickers constantly tell their victims that they're worthless, insignificant, and forgotten. She explains that such alienation fosters a sense of lost identity for victims and a sense of dependency upon their traffickers. She describes how over time this psychological abuse contributes to low self-esteem and self-worth. Just as these traffickers seek to diminish their victims' confidence, so too does the enemy seek to enslave us by convincing us that we're unworthy of being friends with God, sons and daughters who belong in our Father's house. Therefore, we often don't seem to align what we believe about ourselves with what we claim to believe about God. We, we call God our good Father, but see ourselves as children undeserving of our Father's goodness. We must then ask ourselves the question, what do we truly believe about God internally, beyond our default intellectual answers? Beyond the, yeah, yeah, God loves everyone. Yeah, yeah, he, he washed away all my sin. Yeah, yeah, he loves me even when... Beyond just your default, what do you truly believe? Christian author and teacher Thomas Keating wrote of our friendship with God. He said, because trust is so important, our spiritual journey may be blocked 
if we carry negative attitudes toward God from early childhood. If we're afraid of God or see God as an angry father figure, a suspicious policeman or a harsh judge, it will be hard to develop enthusiasm or even an interest in the journey. As Thomas Keating explains, and as I've discovered over many years of pastoral counseling, often we unknowingly see God, our good father, through the filters of the experiences we've had with our earthly fathers, parents, or carers. We then believe the lies of the enemy making us feel that we need to earn our place of belonging with God instead of simply accepting our place in the safety and security of our Father's house. How often do we struggle intellectually as we seek to be with Christ spiritually with voices saying things in our minds like, you're not good enough. Like, you need to try harder. You will never get it right. Or you don't deserve to be loved. So, we respond to those lies by seeking God's approval based on intellectual knowing about what we should do right for his reward. We pray more. We be more Christian. We be gooder. And then like the church in Ephesus, we are commended for our deeds produced through our intellectual knowing, yet our hearts begin to drift from knowing through an intimacy with our Father. It's interesting that God's response to the loss of the church's first love in Ephesus from the book of Revelation chapter 2 verse 5 says, so because you've kind of drifted and you're all human and you've got so caught up saying, look at all the stuff we're doing for you, God, and you're drifting from me. He says, so remember the heights from which you've fallen and repent. Change your inner self, your old way of thinking, your sinful behavior. Seek God's will and do the works you did at first when you first knew me. The word repent, by the way, is Christianese for change your mind. It's got nothing to do with you working harder to earn his approval. And so there are three things Jesus says we should do coming back to that first love, the invitation of intimacy with him as friends. He says, remember, and then repent, and then return. The problem with those three points is I could give you those now, we could finish the sermon, and you would go and try and fulfill those deeds just like the church in Ephesus, and it wouldn't really be focusing on the passion of God's heart calling you home. You see, Although we can go through these three steps, it all starts with Jesus saying, remember. Remember the heights from which you've fallen. When he says this, he isn't wanting you to remember the failures you've fallen into since your first love was lost. He's wanting you to remember the depths from which you've been raised because he first loved you. He, he, he's... Not like that angry parent you're thinking about now that you didn't think was affecting the way you saw God when I said that. (laughs) He's not like the angry parent telling you to fix yourself by coming back from the failures you've fallen into. Remember them. He's not doing that. 
He's a good father inviting you back into his love that can't be lost no matter how far you fall. In Luke's gospel, chapter 7, verse 47, Jesus says of a sinful woman who had returned to him to pour perfume over his feet and bow before him as others watched on. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. So, so let's not forget how Jesus, in explaining how to return to our first love, said, remember the heights from which you've fallen. He said, remember, not so you would feel shame for how far you've fallen from your first love, but so that you would recognize how deeply you are forgiven through his great love. The sinful woman that Jesus referred to as being forgiven much didn't run from Jesus in shame, but returned to him with deep love inspired by the depth of his forgiveness as she remembered how far she had fallen. You see, we don't return to our first love in shame because of how far we've fallen. We return to our first love in confidence because of how deeply we've been forgiven by our good Father. And this is where our intellectual understanding is challenged. See, it's just, I don't know, it's, like what, like, you don't know how badly I've fallen from that place I was once in with God. Like, I know, like, what the Bible says. And you, you see, your intellect is fighting. See, it's not religious law that demands we return. It's the invitation of God's great love. And we can't comprehend, so our intellect wants to decide. See, our return to our first love doesn't start by earning God's approval that way. It starts by accepting God's invitation. Come home, my baby. And if you're here and you're 140 kilograms and you go to the gym and you're hairy, God still says to you, come here, my baby. If you are out last night and you're sitting here this morning feeling bad for what happened. You couldn't even raise your hands in worship because you felt unworthy. Your good father invites you. Come, my baby. If you're a granny or a grandpa and are calling your grandchildren that way, our good father's still inviting you and saying, come, my baby. Our good Father invites each of us every day into this intimate connection as his friends, not foes, as daughters and sons, not slaves. And unlike our past experiences in which we may have felt the need to please people to earn their love or earn approval from a father or mother, our good Father invites us close, not because of what we can do to earn our acceptance, but because of what Jesus has already done for us. And this is why the New Testament book of Romans chapter 8 verse 15 tells us that the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Jesus 
Happy Father's Day. Today, our good Father invites us into his great love. The question is, will we accept his invitation? Yeah, but Grant, you don't know what I did, and so I know I should do this, and for a long time I haven't done it. Oh, he doesn't need you to earn anything. He just needs you to accept. Yeah, I will accept, Grant, but first I have to, you know, stop smoking because, Jesus, it's a thing, and I know, like, God, no, 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 you don't have to earn. You need to start by accepting. And, and, and so our return to our first love doesn't start by earning God's approval. It starts by accepting God's invitation. We know that God's word helps us understand this when in 1 John 4 verse 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. So you couldn't make God love you. (laughs) You can only love him back because he already does. You can only return to him because he already loves you. You don't return to him to be loved again. Love expressed by God in the giving of his son, Jesus, so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. He first loved us. And we know that in giving himself out of love for us first, Jesus was crucified alongside two criminals. Both Matthew and Mark, in documenting the historical moment of Jesus' crucifixion in their Gospels refer to these two men as rebels. As Jesus and the two rebels waited for their bodies to breathe their last breaths, there was an interaction through words. As the rebels awaited their deaths, one spoke with harsh words. And Scripture tells us that one of the criminals who hung hurled insults at Jesus saying, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebel spoke differently when he said, hey, bro, don't you fear God? Like, you're under the same sentence. We are punished justly. We're getting what we deserve. But this man's done nothing wrong. And then it tells us in Luke's gospel 23, 42, that that rebel said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Think about that. Jesus, remember. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus calls us to remember him as our first love. And here we now have a rebel asking Jesus to remember him as his first love. The man who was identified as the rebel and the thief for what he had done knew intellectually about Jesus' claims that he was the Savior. But something had shifted. And he wasn't responding out of intellectual understanding while he hung on the cross. But in the midst of the presence of the good father, he spoke from his heart asking to be remembered. And and the crazy thing is that at this point, even though he was accepted by Jesus, 
He could not take that intellectual knowing about God to earn God's approval through righteous deeds like those displayed by the church in Ephesus. He was remembered in love by God, even though he could not with deeds feed the poor or serve someone else or prove himself worthy by turning the pages of Scripture in personal study. He couldn't take his intellectual knowledge and hold up someone in their struggle as proof of his salvation. Those religious deeds done with the hands were secondary to the knowing that Jesus desired from the heart in relationship. And for that thief, from knowing about Jesus' claims intellectually, he had now come to know Jesus through experience in his presence. And it was in this knowing that from his heart he asked God to remember him. And Jesus did. This thief experienced Jesus' unconditional love and acceptance in his first love encounter. Jesus said, I will remember you in this first love moment, not based on the memories of your rebellion or the very deeds that led to your execution. You see, although the thief would hold an account for what he had done that had led him to the cross, Those deeds would not define who he was as held in the memory of God. That's like unfair. What about all the stuff he did? Remember that. Jesus, remember that. He's like, he held that man in memory from that first love moment, regardless of, of how far he had fallen, even when it led him to an execution. And the crazy thing is, so too does Jesus see you as he did on the first day you came to know him personally. On that day when you experienced him and said, Lord, remember me, I take hold of your salvation. He remembers you and holds your memory from the first love moment he had with you. Before you could prove your worth or earn his approval by becoming the very good Christian you may be today. He holds you in memory of that first love moment, just like this thief, before you could make right from your past mistakes through good deeds inspired by your intellectual learning, before you could break the addiction or reconcile the relationship. And as I thought about the father heart of God that sees you from the moment of his first love, beyond the mistakes you've made and the failures which you've intellectualized as reason to be distant because you don't know how far I've I've fallen before you could do that. And I remember when I first held my oldest son and I found a picture I'm holding in my hand is on the screens. 
And, and in that moment, that was my first love, man. That's my baby. And this is the crazy thing. No matter how old he gets, he'll still be my baby. No, no matter what he does, still be my baby. No matter how much he fails or messes up or even disappoints or does something that I would disapprove of, I see him as my baby. The memory of my first love is the way I hold him in my heart. The same way Jesus could hold the memory of a thief in a moment when he asked to be remembered. And so as we think about the father heart of God, on Father's Day, let us acknowledge that you are held in God's memory as his first love in this very moment. Therefore, Jesus invites you to live from the memory of your first love with him in every moment too. As he looks upon you in this moment, while you intellectually calculate how far you've fallen, how good Father looks at you. And he says, there's my first love. You can come home. It's safe. How good Father invites you. The question this morning is, will you accept his invitation? Can we close our eyes for just a minute? I don't know where it is you find yourself. I don't know what you see in your story or how you've filled your mind with the memories of your failures. So often while we're focused on the memories of how far we've fallen, our good Father is simply reflecting on the memory of you as His first love. Guilt and shame, mistakes, regrets, leave us feeling that somehow we are more slaves than sons, foes than friends. Would you stop trying to earn your way back and accept the invitation to return to a good Father who loves you? Holy Spirit, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, that you would begin to move in our minds and allow the intellectual understanding to sink to the depths of our hearts. Father, I pray that you would see the minds and hearts of each person that is feeling distant, that has drifted, feeling that they're unworthy or have failed or fallen too far. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would let them experience the gentle whisper of your invitation and unconditional love so great that its forgiveness goes further than any fall we've had. I pray that you would let us begin experiencing your love from the inside out instead of trying to earn it from the outside in. And even as we're in this moment, I feel like there 
someone here, you almost made a decision to disconnect from God based on the way you measured how far you've fallen. I sense that you're in the service because part of your heart wants to be with your father, but your head tells you you've messed up too bad. You need to hear the voice of your good father this morning calling you with a full embrace and a forgiveness that far outweighs your fall. This is your moment to say, here's my heart again. Remember me, Jesus. I'm returning. While every eye is closed, maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. God loves you so much. He created you to walk with Him in relationship. And as we had freedom of choice, which allowed us to truly love in our relationship with Him, we chose in that freedom to go our own way. We built a barrier of sin separating us from our good Father. Instead of striking us down with lightning, His heart broke and he gave us his son, Jesus, to pay the price of death we deserved for that sin so that through Jesus, we can be reconciled and restored into relationship with the absolute truth of the living God. And all we need to do to embrace that salvation, to begin walking in relationship with our creator is to call on the name of the Lord and we can be saved. And so as we land, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. You can pray this with me if you want or just remain silent and pray from your heart. But as we do that, maybe you're here saying, Grant, I want you to include me in that prayer. I wanna give my life to Jesus. I want to know his salvation. If that's you and you're saying, Grant, include me in that prayer, I would love to just acknowledge you where I am by asking you to put your hand up and put it down and then we're gonna pray this all together. If that's you all over this place, you can just put up your hand and put it down. I will acknowledge you where you are. You're saying, Grant, include me in that prayer. Thank you, I see those hands. Are there others right now? You're just saying, Grant, include me in that prayer. Top, thank you, I see that hand. The others right now, thank you, see that hand. Let's pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, I come before you. Lord Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Lord Jesus, would you come into my life? Would you be my Lord? Would you be my Savior? I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust that you enjoyed listening to the sermon today. We would love to stay in touch with you about your next steps please send us a WhatsApp or contact us via our website. We would love to help you on your discipleship journey.